Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, comedian Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Maddie, our man Bashir Churchhouse, and Nathan, Matalan Cashier Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. That was left field, and it was left field. Quite good. I like it. It, it, it. I wrote that like literally two minutes ago because the first one that I wrote was so bad that I couldn't face doing it as the real intro. You've <laughs> got to tell it, us what it is now. Well, originally it was going to be uh, Maddie Morn Church House and Nathan Porn Thomas. <laughs> Yeah, that's weak. <laughs> Which is yeah. weak, isn't it? It is yeah. weak. Um, I should point oh, out, uh, for the listeners to this podcast who do not live in the UK, Matalan is a sort of really bad shop that sells clothes. It's like a catalogue shop from the 90s. <laughs> do they sell clothes? Um, I thought they sold, like, sofas. That just shows how little... <laughs> no, they show clothes. So- shop. <laughs> Um, can't you be isn't it like one of the wasn't it the earliest form of like member shops as well like yeah like it was cost, something like that wasn't it, it? no it that's was, not like right. i think they've changed it now but couldn't you originally not shop there if you didn't have a card or something? yeah like because my mum was really it's similar to costco yeah but it only well i've clothes. never got that right because i'm like why like any business Making it harder to spend your money there is not going to be ultimately successful in my head. Yeah, like, but it, it's, it, it's, it, 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 make, it makes it feel exclusive, though, doesn't it? It's, you've got Matalan like... is the least exclusive <laughs> shop in the goddamn world. My mum was so proud of being a Matalan member when we were like when I was a teenager in the early noughties. She was like, like that was her big like personality trait she didn't have anything else going for her so matalan card was the main thing that she had going for her so um, um which is posher matalan or costco because when i was at school my friends used to boast about being like if their mums were like costco members and then they'd go and oh, get yeah, yeah. like 17 crates of nutella or whatever yeah costco is more posh because costco is basically like that's like the wholesaler way where like small businesses buy all of their stock from so oh, like that's right. why you need to yeah. get a membership um look before we get sidetracked anymore by uh boring shopping reminiscences from 20 years ago um we should get into this week's episode of star trek because we're doing a special double length uh episode those the podcast will be an, a normal length but we're talking about a double length episode of the show because that mm. episode is the way of the warrior parts one and two the opening of season four of Deep Space Nine. This is still oh, part yeah. of our yeah. This is still part of our uh, our run of episodes where we're trying to convince me, Jake Donaldson, to be a fan of DS Nine because previously I had not been. And let me tell you, <laughs> I think I might be a fan now. <gasps> oh, yes, yay! I'm so glad. Right. I think this yeah. episode, I think this episode might be what's done it for, what's tipped it over. But we'll get into that in a was moment. Was it Gowan's luscious locks and his googly-eyed gaze? Was that what <laughs> finally sent you over the edge? I mean, no, not gonna lie, that was a big part of it, Maddie. But we'll <laughs> we'll get further into it after we've heard Nathan describe the plot of these two episodes uh, in the patented manner in which Nathan does. So, uh, would you like to take take it away? Yes, but before that. Just because it's a necessary joke. Jake, are you ready? <laughs> 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 Just, you know, before we face the way of the warrior. Um, I, I would like to point out that at first I didn't understand <gasps> what you meant. Was and that then Raven I realised you were making a reference to Raven. Which I had to <laughs> explain to my girlfriend what Raven was. She didn't oh, know what Raven was. Raven well, because Raven, she's I, in her mid thirties and was oh, not. Oh come on! I was in love with the. I was in love with Raven when we were like twelve. 
The greatest trial that a warrior may face is not the mountain ahead, but the stone in his shoe. <laughs> My favourite thing about Raven is that the, the villain in Raven, who you never met, but he was like the baddie, he was in charge of everything, his name was Navar, and I never realised that that's just Raven spelled backwards. <laughs> <gasps> Holy motherfucking shit, the lore is deepened! <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness have you guys seen the parody of the raven parody where like his mum's just trying to give him breakfast and he keeps like quoting <laughs> mysterious scottish proverbs at her over the dining room table it's great i'm gonna send it to you oh Excellent. i love, love raven it. so much but before that before that let's get get into the way of the warrior yes so this episode begins with the crew sweeping deep space nine for a changeling the changeling escapes onto the promenade Odo tags Julian just before O'Brien gets Odo. The surprise drill is over, but uh, they could do with a quicker response time. Captain Sisko meets with Captain Yates. The two be- uh, begin to plan dates and exchange gifts. They agree to head out, get all about the politics and stress, and bi- Dax to Sisko. Uh, you're needed up here. Okay, another time then. At Ob's, Sisko finds the new Klingon flagship, the Negbar. General Martok is here. He asks for shore leave, and a whole fleet of Klingon vessels decloaks as soon as it is granted, surrounding the station. After the titles, we see Klingons all over Quark's bar, while Julian and O'Brien mess about. Something that um, Quark's getting agitated by. Doesn't hear anything, it's too quiet. O'Brien offers to go ask the Klingons what's up. No, no, don't do that. But they are up to something. Sisko, Kira, and Martok take a moment to... Let blood from their palms to show they're not all changelings. Uh, Cisco seems to think the Klingon Empire are overreacting, but surveillance suggests there's nothing to be concerned about. The Dominion are all quiet. Later, Dax and Kira are enjoying a spa in the Hollow uh, uh, Suite, but uh, Kira's not into it. She never really had to use her imagination in her childhood, but at least not this kind of imagination. Jadzia reassures her about the Klingons. Odo and Garrick are to- uh, taking lunch while Klingons explore the station. Garrick has heard, has heard rumours of civil uprisings and disturbances of Cardassia. These are unsettling times. Uh, Klingons start to search uh, Morn's bag. Odo intercepts. Uh, Klingon insults Odo. Garrick says he's not sure the constable has a mother. <laughs> um, and a little while later, he is attacked in his shop for his insults by the same Klingons. He's not pressing cut charges, though. Um, because while he, his face may be damaged, he got off several cutting remarks, leaving lasting damage to those Klingons' egos. Uh, Kira has no idea exactly how many warships there are in the area, but at least 20. Captain Yates calls through to Deep Space Nine, a distress call. Sisko mans the Defiant and sees that there is a Klingon ship detaining this neutral freighter. Sisko hails the vessel. The Klingons have been ordered to search ships departing Bajor. Kira points out they lack jur- jurisdiction and is pretty aggravated by this as the representative of the Bajoran government. Sisko powers up his defensive systems. When this fails to make an impression, he fires off a few warning shots. Sisko and the Klingon captain stare each other down, but the Klingon blinks first and the fighter is released. Back on the station, the Klingons are now conducting their searches in open space, and they're not stopping Federation and Bajoran vessels, so there's nothing we can really do about it anymore. General Martok comes in. Not for a chat, though. He throws down a ceremonial knife. Jadzia explains that the Klingon captain was killed for disobeying orders. Sisko realizes this means the next confrontation won't be so easily solved. In the long run, you know, the thing you need to handle a Klingon isn't Klingon. In the next shot, Lieutenant Commander Worf walks onto the promenade, greeted warmly by Chief O'Brien. Wolf meets with Captain Sisko, who commiserates over the Enterprise. Wolf has been on extended leave since the events of uh, Generations and admits that he's considering resigning his commission. He feels that he spent all his life among humans, but while he is here, he will do his duty and find out why that task force is present. Before he goes, Sisko tells Wolf, don't make any quick decisions of, uh, around his career. He's been there once. At Quark's bar, Wolf orders prune juice and meets Bashir, trying to play darts. Kira and Dax appear from the Hollow Suite, bickering about their Arthurian games. It appears Kira punched Lancelot. <laughs> Kira also explains she doesn't usually dress like this. Josias says um, a greeting. Um, well, 
recognizes her as formerly Curzon Dax. She says something in Klingon, which flusters him. Uh, he excuses himself to find Martok's son, immediately challenges him to combat, beats him up, and takes him to town. Uh, Martok meets with Worf. Turns out he just took the knife to get Martok's attention, something that aggravates the general. Um, Worf lists off the dishonorable acts of Martok's men. That's, uh, does their general represent the same standard of Klingon? He demands an explanation, but it gets nowhere. Wolf is training in the hol- holodeck and Jadzia enters to give a few pieces of friendly critique. Jadzia admits that it's uh, her program, and by hers she means Jadzia, not Curzon. Um, she promises she'll go easy on Wolf. The two give as good as they get. Jadzia gets in a good few taunts, um, but uh, Wolf ultimately drops her to the floor. The two discuss the situation. Worf admits he's struggling to get through official channels. Jotzia gives him the idea, maybe you should seek some unofficial drug ones. So, Worf gets drunk with a family <laughs> friend. But the drunken Klingon admits that they are, will be attacking Cardassia before too long. Worf and Odo talk. Odo makes it clear. Worf has to make a choice someday or other about where his duties lie. Worf goes through to Cisco and tells him all of this. The two meet with Martok. Cisco did say you don't have to be here, Wolf, but uh, never mind your call. Uh, he wants the general to call off the attack. They're convinced the civil op- uh, the Klingons are convinced the civil uprising on Cardassia are evidence of Dominion interference. The alliance is at stake if the attack is not called off. The Federation will have the Klingon response in the next few hours. The Klingon task force decloaks, goes to Wolf, and heads straight for Cardassia. The Federation and Bajorans have decided on neutrality. They can't support the attack, but they can't betray the Klingons and warn Cardassia. Senior staff also conclude that the Empire will need control of the wormhole, though, so this situation isn't sustainable. In need of a third option, Cisco calls Garrett. He would like to be measured for a new suit. Now, I have your measurements. Um, yes, make sure you get it right. It just so happens that the senior staff are discussing the attack on Cardassia. <laughs> Garak has uh, all the things he needs. Like, <laughs> uh, Garak warns Goldukat, the Federation decries the invasion, and uh, Garon withdraws from the Kithamara cause. The alliance is officially over. Mm, but uh, then the Chancellor turns up personally to speak with Worf, though. Garon assures Worf he's not one of Worf's enemies. He offers him a commission alongside him. Worf refuses. He does not want to wish to quarrel with Garon, but... Um, this attack is wrong. Garon reminds Worf of everything he owes. Garon threatens to strip all of Worf's family, titles, and land. Worf says he will retain his honor. Worf and O'Brien talk about the old days on the Enterprise. Worf feels he has disgraced himself in the eyes of his people. While he was a warrior of the ancient sagas on the Enterprise, that day is gone, and even if they build a new one, it won't be the same. So he's going to resign that commission. There'll be someone in need of a good officer somewhere. Sadly, Cisco can't accept his resignation right now. He needs Worf and every good officer he can get. The Klingons are starting to break through the Cardassian lines. Cisco talks with Dukat. He offers the new Cardassian civilian government a sanctuary and will meet Goldukat and escort them. Captain Yates and Captain Cisco say goodbye to each other and Cisco departs. The Defiant makes ready to leave. Cisco activates the cloaking device illegally, as O'Brien points, uh, as um, Bashir points out, and um, to Worf's somewhat perturbment. On the station, Kira and O'Brien begin setting up defences. The, on the Defiant, the crew come across wreckage. They avoid decloaking to check for any survivors, fearing an ambush from the Klingons. When the Defiant meets up with Dukat, three Klingon ships are firing on Dukat's ship. Sisko hesitates. If he gives the order and they engage, there won't be any warning shots this time. It'll be a full-on battle. Dun, dun, dun. Gives the order. The Klingons fire on the Defiant. Cisco responds and begins evacuating the Cardassian. He gives Wolf leave to fire at his discretion. The last of his restraint in this conflict gone. So um, Wolf destroys some Klingon vessels and he makes use of a tractor beam so that while the shields are down, the structure effectiveness is half. And the Defiant takes a heavy pounding. The cloaking device has been disabled in the battle, but um, the Cardassians are home. It ought to make the trip interesting. Bashir tests all the Cardassians for changeling blood and the Klingons following Defiant home to Deep Space Nine. Speaking of which, Quark serves Garrick a drink of canal. The two men discuss how the Federation, a bubbly, cloying, and happy group, are their saviors. How they might even like the 
insidiousness of the <laughs> and their ideals. And the Klingons are preparing to attack, and the station goes to red alert. A full fleet is um, amassing to strike at the station. Bashir prepares medical personnel. Odo and Bashir wish each other luck. Odo says that uh, if a Klingon should kill him, he would expect no less than a full opera on the subject. Bashir would still prefer not to have to listen to it. <laughs> um, Quark is dismayed to find out that his uh, ancestral disruptor has been taken apart, and Garrick and Dukat agree to fight side by side to protect the Cardassian council members. Garon and Martat talk give Sisko uh, a chance to surrender. Sisko refuses. The station will defend itself, and this time it's not Deuteranium's shadows or other illusions. He has 5,000 photon <laughs> torpedoes, and he's going to use them. In the initial volume, Attacks Deep Space Nine equips itself well, but reason isn't going to win this. Fire at will. Klingons land on the promenade. Garrick finds himself in distasteful hand-to-hand combat. The Klingons attack Ops. Starfleet officers repel the borders with some injuries, get their shields back up. Starfleet reinforcements are on the way. Cisco con- uh, contacts Garon. Cisco prevails on him. The founders want them to fight. His reinforcements will be here first. Does Garon want him to say, come in firing or stand down? Garon realises that um, ending a battle to save an empire is the wiser course of action, as Kalos himself said. He withdraws, but they've sided against him in battle, and this we will not forgive. For now, though, it's over. Mr. Worf can take up a new job, far away from Starfleet and the Klingon Empire. But uh, Sisko has another idea. He persuades Worf to remain, and indeed to stay at uh, Deep Space Nine. Klingons are here to stay, both as aggressors and as the new strategic operations officer. Woo! Yeah, boy! Warp's back, baby! Warp is back, bitches! Holy shit. (laughs) These episodes were so good. They were so good. They were amazing. So they're like like a soft reboot for the series, basically. Yeah. this was this was like a reintroduction of like this is where the, the the series is. This is how you know the dominion of the bad guys. We're going to look at war and conflict from a political angle. Like it was it was really like refreshing stuff. And I wanted to watch this one um, after the string of episodes we've just watched. I thought the episodes we watched were all good standalone things showing like characters or individually good episodes of Deep Space Nine. But this long double parter is meant to be an introduction to it as a the, the meat of Deep Space Nine as a storyline that sets itself apart from Star Trek. So I knew, Jake, if I couldn't get you to like this, there was no point. You would you may like individual episodes, but you would never like Deep Space Nine. Well, the good news is that I did like this. And Woo! I thought this was the best DS9 we've watched uh, for this podcast. And I really... Big words. Uh, yeah, and I th- there's not much I didn't like about it to be honest. I yes, thought, it was so good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the. I think I was on board because I knew it was going to be the episode where Worf came in because you told me about that, Nathan. And because I'm a big fan of TNG, I was sort of like, oh yay, I'm excited that this is going to sort of be the if there's going to be a an episode that is going to get me into it. It's going to be an episode that bridges the gap between TNG and and Deep Space Nine, I suppose. And this did that a little bit, but I was worried that it was going to be like the whole thing was just going to be a big gimmick. And it was just going to be like, Oh, we're bringing Worf on the whole point of the episode is going to be Worf centric. And it's just going to be like, you know, uh, reminiscing about old stuff. Yeah. Fan service and stuff. I really like, I really like the way the I think it's a way, it's a a thing you should do um, more of, like, I I think that Picard takes lessons from this Mm -hmm. with the introduction of Seven of Nine is that the plot clearly facilitates Worf's entrance. Mm -hmm. Like, they've written that with that in mind, but it feels natural, and it's not like Worf solves the problems you see Worf presented with, and they go, we need Worf, and you're like, yes, you do need Worf to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And then the the bonds and relationships he forms with new Deep Space Nine characters all kind of make sense, because his strongest relationships in this episode are Mm O'Brien, because they serve together. 
um, Jadzia, who understands a bit more of Klingon culture from her past life as, a, as an ambassador, and obviously that relationship later develops. Yes. But, you know, just at this point, they 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 do a lot together. And Sisko, who is, I think, a, a, a command and mentor figure mm-hmm. for him, is not, you know, it's not quite as personal, but the professional relationship's there. And Sisko is advising him without it making making it feel like, a, oh, we have this really long history, it's just this, you know, you know, by the way, I've, I've had... Yeah, they're sort of like, maybe you... they're kind of established as kind of kindred spirits in a way. Like, they, they've mm. both been through similar, like, losses. Because that's what I think as well about uh, Worf in this episode is, I think it's different to the Worf that you see throughout TNG, because obviously this, this is set just after the events of Star Trek Generations, which we've done on the podcast before. Um, and obviously in Generations, the uh, the Enterprise is yeah, destroyed. Yeah, Troy smashes and... the Enterprise onto the surface of a planet. A <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so we. this is the first time I think you get to see Worf dealing with loss properly because, like... He's he's not only as like yeah there's episodes in the past where you know he's a bit sad about about his his history or, or about Alexander or anything but this time but he's always been framed by the fact that he's surrounded by his comrades and that you know he's he's home within Starfleet and within the the Enterprise and this suddenly we see him out of that context and he's having to deal with the loss of his home. And I think it's really interesting the way he described, like, that conversation with O'Brien where he's like, you know, you remember those times. He's like, well, they'll build another one. And, like, O'Brien's just like, you know, you're still perfectly capable of transferring to that new enterprise. Mm-hmm. He's just like, no, it wouldn't be the same. And you get this real sense, I think, of why Wolf is unhappy to move. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the next next generation films then go arse over backwards <laughs> to get warp on the Enterprise. But it's uh, but like, you know, you do have that thing of like Wolf's not present and you can understand why he does something slightly different. And uh, and yeah, no, I, I really I, I really and, and I think they don't like they they spend an appropriate amount of build up to him. Like there's yeah. enough scene setting and enough stuff that our heroes do otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't feel like the Wharf show featuring the characters from DS9. It, yeah. it feels like no. a DS9 show that is introducing Wharf as a major character, and it's not like a like Maddie said. It's not a fan service thing. It's not like when we watched. Um, the episode of TNG with uh, James Doohan in where where it's just like they yeah. they've just kind of manufactured a, a plot to be able to bring this character yeah. in, which was good, but wouldn't have worked as a like. Yeah. Now we're introducing. Yeah, character this you yeah know, exactly Wolf enriches the incredibly what is already an extremely detailed plot, and he's not just there like with James Doohan to find a solution. Actually, the introduction of Wolf mm. makes things more complicated and introduces even more nuance and throws up more questions yeah. than it answers with, you know, his relationship with Gowron. And I just feel for Worf so much in this couple of episodes because he mm. loses everything. He loses everything except his honour. And he, he, like, he puts <laughs> it all on the line for the Federation. And when Gowron says to him, you know, join me and invade Cardassia and we will restore your Klingon glory and restore your name and your honour... But if you don't fight with me and you choose Starfleet, who he's already strongly considering leaving and was trying to resign from, it's like if you choose the Federation yeah. over me, this not not even that you know if you just choose to sit out of this. No, if you even just actively choose not to come and fight with me in Cardassia, then I will destroy your entire family. You will be exiled from from and Klingon homeworlds, and it's just and and he does it, and he just like. Oh, and I poor Wolf. Yeah, I think it really adds to the character development of Wolf and makes him feel like a continuing character because what Garon is offering him there, if you've watched even a little bit of uh, Wolf-focused episodes on TNG, is all he yeah. does. Like, look at how he parents Alexander, he, like, initially. He's like, you know, this is our heritage, this is our roots, you know. He, 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 if you've watched TNG, 
TNG, you know the whole palaver that went through him falling on his sword for the Empire. And I think this sets up, and I'm going to spoil a, a bit of Deep Space Nine plot now, but, you know, it's a 20-year-old, 30-year-old TV <laughs> show. Cool, so I feel okay about it. The, the arc Worf goes through in Deep Space Nine um, with the Dominion War and the Klingons is fascinating because it is repeatedly watching, in TNG, he fell on his sword to protect an empire and build the Klingon Empire up to be mm. so that it didn't have to compromise its ideals. And what he watched, it, what he watches in the Dominion War is the Empire put to its test and just fail every time. It just falls short of his expectation. And Gowron in particular, who he had a personal stake into putting into the Chancellorship, fails. And ultimately, what ends up happening is Martok, who is mm-hmm. brought back later on, who is the ideal of a Klingon general. Um, Warlike. And, the, 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 and is honourable and Worf's friend and and maintains, you know, is the representative of not all is bad in the Klingon Empire, but there's a pretty rotten core at the top. Garon starts sending Martok on suicide missions because he's scared that Martok's becoming this big figure and politically Martok might be touted as the person to succeed mm. him. And Wolf gets pissed off with this because it's just ruining their chances of victory. It's just utter, like, you know, Romulan-style political backstabbing. So he charges into a meeting of the council, challenges Gowron to combat. What? Gowron. What? All the Klingons are about to put the chancellorship on him, and he, like, forces Martok to take the chancellorship instead, just being like, no, the person who should rule this empire is the person who doesn't want to, because that's what's wrong with us. And it's just such oh. a good, like, oh, oh my of, beloved Gowron. That is really interesting. Gowron. <laughs> Nathan, that was a really mean spoiler. Well, you can't tell me that Worf killed Gowron. <laughs> Sorry. I love Gowron. But then it, in this episode, though, like, I think you, you're right to bring up that sort of, uh, the kind of internal struggle that Worf has between being a, a member of the, of Starfleet and, and a, wanting to sort of still have involvement in the Klingon Empire because like I think it was in um is it Redemption Two in uh in TN- TNG where mm. Gowron like re uh reestablishes Worf's family's honour so that like he's he's now suddenly got honor again within the within the Empire. And then in this episode he he has to make that decision to to not go along with Gowron and not go and invade Cardassia Prime. Yeah, which is indirect. Like, you know, it's giving up this thing that yeah. he's fought so far, so much to and, get. And the fact, and I think the fact um, Gowron even offers him like it's the clear like expectation that like oh no you owe me, mm. which is such an un, like you know Wolf Wolf I think in that moment is like no. You should restore my honor. You should have restored my honor because it was the right thing to do. Yes. And you should not be attacking Cardassia because that's the right thing to do. But if you're going to, don't coerce my loyalty by taking things off me and my family. Yeah. Like, th- there's there's an almost like respectful, silent. Oh, yeah. He he's so <laughs> stoic. Like, and he's, I mean, he's not suit. Like, he's, he's shouting, but you're like, Oh, internally, Wolf, you wanna you wanna rip. He that takes guy's it like yeah, a yeah. champ. Like that... he's so stoic. When Garon says he's gonna destroy him and you know depose his family and all of this, mm. Wolf, you see his jaw kind of you know he clenches his jaw and then he's like, no, I will not do it. And I'm like, I don't know how the hell he remained calm in that moment, but like, I would have cried. The, Go, Wolf. Like... Wolf does <laughs> have have his honor, and Garon is an idiot. It's the it's the you will have nothing yeah, except have my honor. Yeah, I'm yeah, just like, so yeah, fuck oh, you. And, like, like, <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> well, that brings me to the point that I. Yeah, well, it, that brings me to the point I was about to make, which is that um, I think we get to see just how good an actor Michael Dawn is in this episode, because I think he had sort of in places been uh, criminally underused in TNG as an actor and. You know, just because the, the the there are so many other great actors in TNG as well, and and Worf to an extent is a is a sort of more minor character than some of those people. And but like in this, you get to really see the range that 
he has. He's not just playing angry, grumpy man. Like I think, sort of, especially in early TNG, he comes across as Down. sort of just generic angry, grumpy guy. You get to see him be a person who's genuinely conflicted, uh, and so you see Michael Dawn playing that, and I think it comes across, especially. You like you've got to be quite a good actor, right, to be able to get across that level of like subtlety whilst also wearing like a pound <laughs> of face makeup and prosthetics to try and make yourself look like That's you've got ridges. That's such a good point. That is actually like, a really but, good point. Yeah, respect to Michael Dawn. <laughs> so I always, yeah, and well, to anyone who plays a, a Klingon in uh, middle aged Trek, I think. Well, the other good, the other good bit that like. Um, the good bit of acting Michael Dorn does is that bit where Jadzia says something in Klingon that we never find well, out. Well, I have a translation goes, for it, so I can tell you ooh, exactly what okay. she says. But, but, but he just goes, yes, I, I suppose so. And it's just like... It, but I just think the acting of like responding to a line like that that's in a fictional language mm-hmm. and, and so on is, is another like similar to the makeup point. Yes, well, I agree. However... Uh, I, courtesy of Memory Alpha, have found mm. the Klingon translations of everything that's said in Klingon in this oh, episode, yeah, right? Which uh, I don't know whether or not these were in the original script, like so I don't know whether the characters knew what they were reacting to, but um, the thing that Dax says to Worf <laughs> in Klingon is, uh, yeah, but I'm a lot better looking than he <laughs> than was. Curzon. Uh, <laughs> I love yeah, it. Yeah, then Dax meets him oh, up and she's flirting with him straight out the gate. So he's like, oh, yes, Curzon is very yeah, yeah. honoured amongst my people. Well, the whole oh, wow. fight, like, is, is just yeah, massive. Yeah, beat flirting, the shit out of you. Like, That's Worf. Like, because cause Jadzia, Jadzia is taunting him, just like, yeah. lift your arm up and being like, you know, if it makes you feel better, I've been, think of me as a man, I've been one several times. And Worf is just like, <laughs> like, Worf's response to that is just like, like no i don't care yeah, that you're Wolf's a woman initial yeah. this, this is the question that... like i don't know how to react to this woman what the fuck is going on and then very quickly it's like yeah well i know how to beat the shit out of people so let's start there and it's the foundation for a firm friendship i like it a lot well this is my headcanon for this episode right is that dax could have easily beaten Worf. But Dax, or as we know from that little flirty quip that she made, she already fancies Worf and she lets him win in order to be able to uh, prolong this sort of flirty conversation that they're having. I, I reckon that Dax w- w- was letting him letting him have his moment. I actually kind of think uh, that's kind of what I thought was happening in that scene. I thought that she was... Not that she was playing easy, but, you know, that, that it was kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're just setting out to get to know each other. So I think, you know, she probably wasn't going in for yeah. the kill or anything like that. And she wanted to disarm him a <laughs> yeah. bit. I mean, that would be... You know, sort of get, get let him make, get his guard down. And yeah. he was clearly feeling stressed. So a little tiny... Vi- I think she sort of understood that a little victory yeah, against maybe you're her right, would yeah. boost his confidence and give him the kind of push he needed to sort of gel with them yeah. as a crew a little bit more, maybe. I'll tell you what, though, yeah, I mean, it would I have think, been uh, it would have been a ballsy a ballsy move on the part of the writers to have had Jadzia Dax kill off. <laughs> <in> that <laughs> Amazing, scene. yeah, that's the script that we didn't see. <laughs> Way of the Warrior Part One Point Five. <laughs> it just ends because Wolf gets killed. <laughs> One thing that uh, Michael Dorn wanted in in Deep Space Nine, which uh, which semi relates to you know Wolf's prowess, is that. On TNG, there's this recurring thing of the warp effect, where it's like, warp is a badass warrior and superhumanly strong. And, oh, a, a bad guy has appeared. Warp charges. Warp is completely ineffective. This is to demonstrate that combat oh, will yes. not win this problem. <laughs> like, you know, so warp never... But, but the result is that warp just ends up looking crap. Because if that happens, like... like <laughs> So frequently that, like, Worf is just, like, the phase is ineffective or he gets thrown away. So, like, Worf was like, uh, Michael Dorn was like, okay, but Worf has to win. Yes. Like, fights. (laughs) Like, he has to be good in combat. Um, So I just found that Good on Michael Dorn for standing up for himself. Yeah. Yeah, he just didn't like being frequently used in that way. And then I think a lot of the losses Worf takes in Deep Space Nine are a little bit more... 
logical because because he still loses some fights, like you know when narrative yeah, yeah. for it, but it's not like oh we need to show that this enemy is strong. But uh, one thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about here is I really like this episode, and it continues all the way through the Dominion War, the depiction of battle and Starfleet in battle in this episode. Mm. There's, there's a few things I'm going to wax lyrical on, so I apologise if I, if I take up a lot of time. But, um, like, one thing I, 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 I really enjoy in all media is when they take the time to have the tension and the preparation and the conversations between characters. That scene, you know, you've got the scenes between Bashir and Odo where he's like, you know, yes, nothing less than an opera would, would suit me. But even before then, you've got, you know, Kira and O'Brien preparing things, mm. um, you know, preparing the defences. You've got Quark and Garrick's, you know, infamous root beer conversation. Which I love, by the way. I think it's excellent. Yeah. That was the conversation I was talking about uh, last week. Oh, well. Well, the one where you said you if know, there's one bit in anything that is that I'm going to like, then it's going to be that bit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just thought that, yeah, that, that really shows a lot about how Garrett feels about the Federation and stuff and how it is in, in these days now. But, like, yeah, I, I, I liked that they did that tension and build-up first because I think it makes the fighting on ops and the promenade more thing and then thing there are little things you then see in the fight scenes like you know a thing on sneaking up on odo and julian um shooting that Klingon yeah. um that make the whole um the whole combat scene feel a lot more invested for you know let's face it we know it's the season opener all these characters are gonna be fine <laughs> like you know, there's still, I think, in in even if you're very good at suspending disbelief, some thing in your head going like, yeah, but these characters probably will be... The okay. conversation like, you, you know. raised at the bar when they're discussing root beer and how it's chirpy and happy and bubbly, but also insidious like the Federation, leads me to my headcanon for this set of episodes, which is that the Federation is a cult. So you notice how every time Worf tries to leave Starfleet and says that he's moving on to Passages New, instead of being like, oh, Worf, I'm so happy for you, you're leaving to find yourself, you're going to meet some monks, like, <laughs> yeah, I understand the burnout of being a starship officer is really real, you've just got to take some time for yourself. They're just like, why are you leaving? You don't really want to leave. You're just, it's just all in your head, Worf. You're not, you don't actually have anything out there. What are you really running from? You're running through yourself. It's just constant gaslighting. Like he sat with Miles in the yeah, bar yeah. and um, he's like, he says, and Miles even says to him, well, what are you going to do outside of Starfleet? And I was like, Miles, how is that a way to talk to your friend who told you that they're trying to leave? And then Ben Sisko basically press gangs him back into, you know, into the cast of of DS9 at the end of the episode. And I just thought that is perfectly described when Quark and Garrick, you know, they're dry and cynical. They see <coughs> through this bullshit and they're like, have you noticed that all these people are walking around like happy, clappy, uh, the Stepford wives, <laughs> like, oh, we love being part of the Federation. We're so happy all the time. And the in yeah, and inside they're like, let me out. That's my Starfleet headcanon. <laughs> Well, it was it was really weird for me to to watch this episode today because for listeners, uh, I I I handed my notice in oh, where I work nice. today. Um, Why are you leaving, Jake? Why don't you go back? What are you going to do outside? <laughs> you know, you just because you're well, giving yeah. up the uniform of your workplace doesn't mean you're ever going to really leave. That's what Ben Cisco <laughs> said to well, Worf. So well, <laughs> well. So last night I watched um, the episode of the U.S. Office where uh, where Michael resigns Aww. and leaves, and everyone's really happy yeah. for him. And it's like, oh, it's a really lovely scene. And then I was like, oh, I hope that's what my experience when I had my notice in is going to be like. And then I watched this, <laughs> and I watched Worf getting like essentially told he wasn't allowed <laughs> to quit, yes. and then they press gag him into staying. Yeah, again. but in the military military you're not necessarily yeah, yeah. but starfleet isn't a military organization nathan um apart from it well, absolutely is uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's very odd but one that was the other like thing about the combat in this and in in deep space nine in general in the war scenes that i like is that i think you really see how the federation goes to war in this mm -hmm. episode which is to say they defend their principles and they defend their principles as viciously as the Klingons. Mm -hmm. Like, 
you know, Cisco hesitates and he isn't sure about me when when to make the decision, but you know, he attacks those Klingon ships with the force necessary to destroy yeah. them because they're a problem. But all the way through, he's like saying, "Well, then we'll reason." Like it's they, they have this very clear thing in their their head, or at least Cisco seems to all the way through. It's like we are fighting until we can talk these people yeah. down, right? Like you know, it's like I've rescued these people, I've checked their blood. They're not. They're not change things. And Garon goes, "This is irrelevant." And he's like, "Okay, if you want to do this, I have five thousand torpedoes." It's like it's all lies. And then he fires them, and he goes. Okay, I've destroyed seven of your ships. Are you going to talk? No? Okay, fine. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Worf says, you've, they've given you his response, and Cisco's like, okay, I'll fire. And it's like, okay, another turning point in the battle is coming that's clearly in my favour. Will you negotiate now? And eventually it works. Like, it's yeah, just yeah. always, like, like, Cisco and the Federation in general aren't, like... Or at least the Federation of this time period after the war aren't like you know peaceable pacifists like never well they are pacifists but they're not like extreme pacifists walk over mm-hmm. we will not you know we will not do anything to stop you know the prime directive shall prevent us from interfering in all cases they will defend their principles and show that they have the like laws of a you know the other powers of the universe but they know that their job is to bring a, a conflict to an end and if the fastest way to do that is to blow up a few Ben Cisco in this yeah. series of episodes was balls of absolute steel when they when they're firing on the Klingon ships like you said he he is yeah, not yeah. afraid to take that action and I think that is really ballsy he he rescues these Kardashian fuckwits. I mean, he rescues Golda Cat, who's, you know, <laughs> the only person... Who I know, by the way, beams out before all the council members. Oh, of course he does. Because he's shit. gold, he's just like, slimy, <laughs> Stevie Cat. So he's the only person... Yeah, he's like the opposite of the captain <laughs> yeah, from Titanic. Yeah, he's the only person slimier than Garrick. And so Cisco actually <laughs> fires on the Klingons and, like permanently destroys this hope of this alliance with the Klingons and risks starting a war with the Klingons all to defend their principles. And he just, he thinks about it. I think O'Brien says, Captain, what are your orders? And then he just is like, fire. And then he just, he doesn't even hesitate. And they, and he, and he, you know, he fucking decimates them. The Klingons get murked. So I'm impressed by (laughs) this guy. Yeah. And also, like, he doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't like get entrenched in his view that this is, you know, because he, he, he screens them all. He tests all the council members just being like, yeah, we've, we've tested these, these people. They are not who you think you are. They, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. stop it. Like, he's just like, uh. well, I, I, my opinions on Ben Sisko as a character have been well uh, explored in this podcast, right? This is the first time that I actually liked him. Uh, this is the first time that I've that I was watching him, going, I am interested in this character and want to see what what he does and what his uh, what his choices are going to be. Why now? And I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is. I I feel like it maybe it's something to do with the context of of enjoying the sh- the, the the situation that they're in. He's dealing and with I so much. It, he's like he he's juggling a war, a potential war on three fronts that could take the entire Alpha Quadrant up. So I think it's hard to not yeah. give a shit about his decision making. I also think that it's because he's wearing a new costume. <laughs> I think this is the first this is the first episode where he's got this new look. It's the first episode where he appears with no hair and I think I've that's just struck a chord with me. I think because I'm a fan because I really like Jean-Luc Picard and he's bald. I think Cisco's turned up bald in a more Jean-Luc Picard looking costume and now I've I'm more on board oh with him. Oh my god, I've literally <laughs> forgotten that he used to have hair and no mustache. Why have I? Yeah. Been, I've just like actually completely forgotten that that's what he used to look like. So you prefer you prefer and, baldy Ben Cisco to 
I prefer Baldy Bensisco with his cool new Fair. costume. And like, yeah, like I think there are still bits of his character that I don't like. You know, I still there's a reference in this episode to his wife getting killed and i'm like oh he's still not over that are you it's been like four seasons you don't get over the love of your life and the mother of your child getting killed by captain picard in a board costume no just because you're a soulless bastard who wouldn't care if your most beloved (laughs) family member was literally blown to pieces in front of you and then what because he mentions a five years down the line that's him not getting over it if you mention your nan and how much you missed her do I get to, like, call you a wet pussy and a big girl's blouse and tell you to get over <laughs> it? Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if I if I mention either of my still-living grands, then you can call me a wet pussy. <laughs> right. We're just going to have to agree to disagree on this, but know that you're wrong and you're... Uh, <laughs> and I will not forgive and I will not forget, much like Gowron. Uh, speaking of Gowron, I love him. I... Both of the Klingons in this episode are marvellous. I don't know what it is about really shouty, deranged men, but I just love them for some reason. I think I just love shouty, deranged people. <laughs> and I've got some good facts. <laughs> you hear that, Alex? That explains why you're a social yeah. worker. Um, <laughs> is, that why, is that why you and me are friends, Maddie? <laughs> what, because you're shouty and deranged? Because <laughs> I'm a shouty and deranged person. <laughs> No, I just mean in that like completely sort of unhinged way that Gowron is just, you know, yes. just like pure entertainment to watch. I've got a good, I've got a good fact about Martok, by the way. So the actor who plays Martok, okay. uh, J.G. Hertzler, <laughs> he ran for Congress in 2017 dressed as Mark Twain. <laughs> He's like the American Lord Buckethead. <laughs> Excellent. And he, he did it because he was really angry about fracking in his local area and was annoyed that the the guy in their seat was um, like a support of the Trumpster, as he called him. So he was like, I'm going to dress as Mark Twain and, and all of my debates, I will only perform satire. <laughs> so yeah, respect on Martok. I would... But, uh, I sort of would have liked him to have done it as Martok. Oh, yeah, I mean, it would have like, been better, it wouldn't just... it? I mean, like, all of you are without honour! Um... Yeah, I love I love Garon so much because he comes across as firstly completely unhinged. Secondly, he has the most googly <laughs> eyes that have ever been known to man, and yeah, there's something. It's weird. You know how like I think he's got a thyroid. Oh well, yeah, problem. you know how like Garrick, Andrew Robinson has got a really wide forehead, no chin, and then his yes. eyes are like two fish eyes bugging out in either direction, which totally <laughs> just adds to Garrick's. I don't want to say charm, yeah, that's yeah. the wrong word, but whatever kind of fiendish, horrible... You know, he's so awful you can't look away, right? Garon's got that going on for him as yeah, well. Yeah. He's like, whoo, with his eyes popping out. So I love that. And I also love that he, uh, everything he says is just shouting, in his voice like this! <laughs> and I just, I don't know why. I just, it just really endears him to me. He's like, he's just, you just know that he's so stupid. <laughs> But he's so funny. I, I I love him as well. And for some reason, whenever I see Gowron, I can't not think of Bernard Cribbins. <laughs> and I don't know why, what? but like he just reminds me of Bernard Cribbins. And I've got no idea why. I can't logically tell you why. I can't logically but there's think something about him that reminds me of Bernard Cribbins. I can't Cribbins. think why he would remind you of Bernard Cribbins either. He's nothing like... Can you imagine, imagine <laughs> Gowron versus Bernard Cribbins? Bernard Cribbins is like... Or Gowron's wearing reindeer antlers. And Bernard Cribbins is like, take those off! And he's like, shot, it's Christmas! Uh, <laughs> um, I would uh, like to discuss the uh, Klingon drinking song that uh, that Worf and his old family friend start singing when he goes to, to be up with them to, to get the information yeah. about what the, the Klingons are planning. Because um, this is the first... Uh, introduction in star trek to this song and it gets used again and again in loads of different episodes and i again have got the um uh the translation of the lyrics to the drinking song would you like to hear them yeah cool okay so the drinking song it's called haraga's drinking song and the lyrics are 
and the blood was ankle deep, and the river scrawl ran crimson red on the day above all days when Kaelas slew evil Molar dead. That that that's the happy kind of song that they're singing on it's their like on their stack dudes. Song, which is exactly what you think that Klingons would would have. You know, I don't think they're singing. Yeah, yeah. They're singing "Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star." I expect it to be like the Marseillaise, yeah. you know, like the blood of our enemies shall flow across the land or whatever it is. That that's what. Yeah, I want. exactly. Yeah, excellent content from the Klingons. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was quite a fan of that. I've got a fun fact about this episode that I thought Maddie in particular would appreciate. Um, so, in order to cut down costs, uh, when they were filming the scenes with all of the uh, all of the Klingon birds of prey, and uh, the, when there were like loads of them in the background and stuff like that, because they couldn't just do it all CGI and everything. Um, and normally they would like make individual models of each thing for the show, but they didn't have the time or money to do that. So what they used was uh, a, a couple of years before, uh, Hallmark had brought out a series of um, Star Trek-themed Christmas tree decorations, <laughs> uh, and some of those decorations were like in the shape of Klingon birds of prey. So they just used those in the background dangling off strings no and, they didn't uh, when <gasps> no! yeah yeah so and then in one of and they used those and they used some sort of like toys that were available at the time oh, as well no! uh, and that in there's a scene where one of them explodes uh, and that's done that they the special effects people got one of these christmas decorations like stuffed a load of explosives in it and then stuffed a load of like children's glitter in it <laughs> and then blew it up and filmed it on a camera and that's what that's what the special effect is when one of that's the ships explodes amazing. that is so that is like if in star wars episode 10 god help us they just have to use lego star wars to do all of the fight scenes <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck star trek I would watch that. that is so adorable that makes me really happy i, I want to be the person well. who gets to stop the birds of prey with glitter and then blow it up with a tiny explosive device that that makes it even funnier though because there's a lot of shots in later battle scenes that are either birds of prey flying or ships flying around these phase nine which are clearly like those the, the shots from this episode digitally edited <laughs> or and, and so now knowing that it's Christmas tree decoration. Does this mean that everything <laughs> oh, yeah. in DS9 is now canonically Christmas? Does that mean we get to like sing Christmas yes. songs when we watch DS9? Because that makes me really happy. Oh, I hope there's like a Klingon <gasps> oh, Christmas carol that we imagine? could learn. Yeah. Wow, oh, God, what would be like a... <laughs> And and Jesus was born, and it would it would just he focus on Herod killing all of the firstborn. <laughs> and then Herod killed I think, the babies. Yeah, like kill, kill. <laughs> a Klingon Christmas carol is what a Christian biker gang I've got another fun fact about the the birds of prey in this yeah, episode as well. Um, so, so uh, before the f the filming was uh, started, because it's the first series, the first episode of the series, there was like a break before uh, between season three and season four. And yeah. they hired this v this artist guy, this illustrator, to do designs for a load of new uh, Klingon ships, and they wanted to have like they wanted to bring them in and like debut them in this episode, and there were going to be all these new styles of Klingon ship, mm. um, because the part of the part of the remit the remit that the studio had given the producers was that they had to try and because they were losing um, they were losing. Uh, viewers towards the end of season three so they had to try and do something to like reinvigorate the series um and they thought all oh, right okay we'll get this guy he'll do these new uh ships they'll look really cool um and he spent like about six months designing all of these new ships and going through reworks and he designed like five or six cool new ship designs and then uh in the final production of the episode they uh, just decided not to use any of them <laughs> and they went with the christmas decorations <laughs> instead so this bloke no this pure 
Is the Negvar the Negvar is the only up? one that uh, that is new, but that had previously Just... been used. That was a design that was previously used in TNG, so it already existed. No, so that poor, this poor everything guy. that this guy had created. He'd spent all of his time on it, and then none of it got used. I felt so bad oh, for him. Oh, poor guy. I was going to say, I didn't think those Klingon ships looked radically different. If they, if they had been new, I thought he did a pretty yeah, exactly. good job. Oh, that poor bloke, again, he was like <laughs> shafted at the last minute when they were going to give him his final paycheck. They were like, sorry, mate, we've spent it all on the polish for Ben Sisko's head, so uh, we actually haven't got any money left for you. Oh. <laughs> I love uh, I love Garrick uh, just generally in this Me too. Uh, in this scene uh, in this um, if, if, because he just has some of the best like I got off several cutting remarks. Yeah, the fact that he thinks he's <laughs> won. He just wanted like, an excuse to be taken down to the infirmary and have Julian fuss over him. He was like he's literally sat there flirting yeah. <laughs> and boasting with Julian like oh I'm quite all right. Yeah, at all. because he could definitely. Like, he can definitely manage it, because, like, later in the episode, there's two security guards dead, and it's just him and Cold Cat still, like, fighting everyone else. Oh, that made me so happy in that scene, because Garrick is standing (laughs) at the entrance to the corridor, basically doing nothing, just with his phaser outstretched, and behind him, Gold Cat is having to fight off two Klingons with Batlefs, and Garrick is doing nothing to help him. They're just having this really arsy conversation where he's like, I don't like (laughs) fighting in confined quarters, and then Gold Cat's like, I'm sure you'd prefer the simplicity of an interrogation chamber, and Garrick has got blood smeared all over his face, and he's like, yes, I find it much more civilized. <laughs> they're deranged yeah. it's, it's like well. a really low rent version It's I loved it as well it's like a really low rent version of that bit in uh, in Lord of the Rings when uh, yes. Jim Lee and uh, <laughs> and Legolas are like having an argument about how many people are ki- they've killed <laughs> it still in the only battle. counts as <laughs> like, one <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and like uh, and like the fact that uh, that like <laughs> like all of Garrick's like simple <laughs> tailor ruses throughout is like it's amazing what you can learn when you're heading this monster yeah. and then like the whole like uh, come measure me for a suit Garrick <laughs> now yes Garrick now <laughs> I love that Garrick do, do you think they do you think Cisco's plan Obviously, Cisco's plan was to bring Garak in so that he would overhear the conversation and then go. Yeah. Do you do you think was was the situation meant to be that they all knew that that's why he was there and like including Garak, like he knew it was like a scheme. Well, Worf clearly doesn't because Worf is just like. Why is Cisco getting a new pair of trousers? Uh... This is making him even more determined to resign from the batshit fuckery that is Starfleet <laughs> off the Enterprise. Yeah. Especially after that whole conversation that Cisco's already had with him about his uniform. Oh, yeah. And then he's like. He, then he then he's like just rubbing it in, saying, "I'm going to get a new one." Made. I'm going to watch. I'm I'm going to stand here and have my dick measured while you all have to watch. <laughs> it's a very Cisco thing to do, yeah, I think. That was like a big balls move for um, Cisco. I respected it enormously. What's Miles O'Brien done? What has he ever uh, done? Yeah, He's so wholesome. Oh, what wait, hasn't he done? I forgot that we established that like a few episodes back. <laughs> I forgot we said he was in the eye, alright. <laughs> Look, we're gonna have to we're no. gonna have to wind up, but we have Final to answer head the cannon. Uh, well, Final okay, okay. head cannon. Okay. <laughs> the hero of this episode that is unappreciated and unspoken about, but in reality was the moving engine behind all of the little cogs throughout, was in fact Morn. Because he appears <laughs> at every crucial moment. He's at the beginning, he like, oh, instigates yeah. a fight between uh, Martok's son. You know, when they start bullying people in the gar- oh, yeah. bar and start to attack Garrick. That's Morn. Morn's the guy that kind of was the instigator for that. And then at the end as well, when they finally... He appears in the middle. I can't remember exactly when. And then towards the end, when they get all the Klingons off DS9 at long last and Quark opens the bar, first through the door, as soon as the lock comes off, is yeah. Morn. He's like straight from the lash, literally onto the lash. <laughs> He's an absolute legend. Yeah, I think 
Morn's like the the Barney Gumbel from The Simpsons of Deep Space Nine. Like he's always at the yeah. bar. He's always first in as soon as he opens. Morn, Morn. For I president. do. I'd forgotten about I that. I think Morn's yeah. amazing. Morn for president, definitely. Morn twenty twenty four. Um, the well, well, that brings us on to one of our important questions because. As we know, whenever Morton's in an episode, we always have to discuss the fact that he would look good in a fez. <laughs> but is there anyone else in this episode who is most likely to wear a fez? I think Ben Sisko with his new yeah, bald head. Yeah, but the fez would keep sliding off, so he'd have to use like he'd have to do something silly, like put a he'd have to put super glue around the edge of the fez and then and then jam it onto his head, like stick Nathan it on hates at an angle. This so much. Look, look I, I. <laughs> hate what I'm about to say. I hate myself. I hate what you've driven me to. But, imagine Eddie and Daryl speaking. <laughs> this we do not forgive or forget. Fez. Yes. I, I will strip your lands, your family, and your titles and your honour. Fez. Like, it does not matter. It, it's, the Alpha Quadrant is secure with Cardassia under Klingon control. Fez. Right? It's... He is the You're answer. so right as well. Oh, yes. I'm so annoyed that I thought of it. And I have to tell you, and now I've become as bad as you. All I'm of your feathers are without honour. <laughs> we're, bringing, we're bringing you round to the oh, segment, Nathan. You're going to be a big fan of it. That makes me so happy. That'll, Thank that's, you, that's, Nathan. That's what we need to do. We need to just... Because I didn't originally like DS9, and now I do after having been forced to watch some of it. So we just need to force Nathan to take part in the Fez question more often, and eventually he'll come round. Agreed. Um, importantly, second question that we need to ask is the Klim question. A Klim is a space Karen, so who in this episode is most likely to ask Gold to speak to the manager? Goldicat, without a shadow Obviously of Obviously Goldicat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he oh, comes he onto the bridge and they're like, I, I didn't mention this in my summary, but I love that. Like, it was like, oh, you owe me lunch, Benjamin. Um, uh, what does that supposed to mean? The captain bet me that uh, you'd thank him for the rest before you started writing. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, and Ben is like, I lost. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he's a massive yeah. carrot. And it's There's also the, um, the second in command. Uh, Klingon, who is next to Gowron at the end, when Gowron decides to that he's no longer gonna. That's is that Martok? All oh, right, that's that's me not being able to see faces again. But Martok in that scene because Gowron's like, no, I'm going to uh, call off the attack and we're gonna not invade Cardassia and all that kind of thing. And Martok's like, what? No, uh, what? Uh, what? This is ridiculous. There is no honor in it. And he's like, he's basically wanting to kick off at the manager in that situation as well. But I do think Goldicat is like the most Karen oh, of the situation. He's such an entitled swine. I mean, I completely vibe with Kira at the end when she want, looks like she wants to vomit in her mouth and she says, like, I never thought that I'd be <laughs> rescuing Gold Cat. You know, like, what the fuck? Yeah. That would be like me parachuting into Parliament to, like, rescue Boris Johnson from terrorists and being like, come <laughs> with me, Boris. No, I... Do you know what I mean? Ugh. Yeah, ugh. Gold, yeah, okay, fine. Gold, Gold, Golda Karen uh, is the the is the answer to this week's one. And then finally, the uh, the big question: which character in this episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? I reckon. I think that if someone told Gowron <laughs> that everyone with honor has already managed to suck their own cock. <laughs> He was spend hours <laughs> desperately trying to do it well, and behead anyone who told him. Do you think him to that's stop. why? Do you think that's why his eyes are so <laughs> bulgy? Because he he like he spends he, yeah he spends so much time sort of like with his head upside down trying <laughs> to get all the bloods there, rushed that, to his like, head and permanently distended his eyeballs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if someone told Garon, FYI, Martok sucks his cock for 10 minutes each morning to give him his strength and honor, Garon would be like, Quick, I must suck my cock for $15 before breakfast, before lunch, and before tea. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
because <laughs> they've got two penises as well. The thing about being a Klingon who could suck your own cock is you you could suck one of them and you could get someone else to suck the other one at the same time <laughs> and have like a sort of like sort of six hundred and sixty-nine. <laughs> I've got another candidate though. I think Gowron wins out. Okay. Like- Surely it's just 132. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, yes, all of that pauses me to make that <laughs> Carry on. I, I don't Maddie. get that because I can't do sums. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> it's 269. Oh, yes, that, I definitely knew that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> my, I think Odo, when he's demonstrating to Garrick how he can simulate eating or drinking by absorbing the liquid into his body oh, and then yeah. morphing it back out his hand. He like he's literally pissing coffee out of his fingertips. I mean that is so <laughs> disgusting, right? That that did remind me of the fact that, that Odo is... wouldn't even have to bend over to suck his own cock because he could just make his cock come up like Pinocchio's nose like <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it would make that noise as well. <laughs> like like a like one of those slide yeah, so whistles. I reckon Odo was then... an absolutely filthy things in the bedroom with his changeling powers. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's why his hair is so slicked yeah. back, because he, he gets his he gets his own cum on his oh, hair. Oh, come on! <laughs> Can you do an impression of Geordie Oddo, like, doing something dirty? <laughs> like, dirty talk? <laughs> Alright, what would he say? He'd be sort of like... Because he'd be talking to himself <laughs> as well, wouldn't he? So, so, it's just unnet, like, right. We've had an episode where I could have safely marked it clean. Maybe this looking your own cop, but that's always going to be there. And then just it feels like for the last ten or fifteen minutes, you've gone. Well, we haven't had any sex, so let's just let's just let's just do some improvised porn of our, our original that, character. That's the problem, though, is that like when we do an episode that I actually really like, I'm inevitably not going to have as much sex stuff to talk about because I want to actually discuss how good it is. So then we have to add the sex bits in at I the really end like to try Geordie and Oddo. spice it up a bit. <laughs> So I want to hear Geordie Otto do dirty talk. Go. Who? Who's the father? Uh, it, I'm the father. I'm the father. <laughs> oh my god! Imagine when he. Imagine when Whoa. he. No. How's that little fishy for your little fishy? <laughs> imagine when he comes and then he just sucks it back up through his own penis. <laughs> There is, I, I, I hate to tell you to do this, but there is like a scene where um, Odo has sex and then afterwards, afterwards him and his partner discuss it, like, you know, what it was like for them and stuff. Oh, kind of <laughs> um, that's sad. Oh, oh poor Odo. Poor Odo. Um, what did he say? What can you do again the other week when you said, like, here, don't make us turn into a puddle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, didn't make us turn into a puddle. <laughs> right, I think that that's probably a good place to end. Um, <laughs> listeners, if you want to get, if you've got anything else you would like to hear Geordie Otto say, listeners, feel free to get in touch um, at at Redshirtscast on Gmail. Uh, sorry, at Redshirtscast on Twitter and Instagram or redshirtscast at gmail.com uh, via email. Um, we have, we've decided then that I am now a fan of Deep Space Nine as a result of mostly this episode, but also the other two episodes that were suggested by our lovely listeners. Um, if you have any other episodes you would like to suggest to us, listeners, feel free to get in touch on those socials that I just mentioned. Um, it can be of any Star Trek series you want. If you've got a theme of some episodes you would like to hear us talk about, maybe you think we haven't talked about the Borg enough, so we should do some episodes on the Borg or something like that. Feel free to get in touch and suggest that to us. Um, but for now, all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>